This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Over to you, Roger. Okay. Well, tonight I've had a request to give a talk about burnout. And this is uh, something we have a lot in, in today's world. So this could actually be, hopefully, a good, interesting and useful talk. Uh, burnout is a very big subject because it affects so many of us in many different ways. And it affects society as a whole as well. We can also have sort of community burnout. What's really interesting is burnout is accumulative. And when we look at, say, the last 20 odd years that we've all been through, we've had a whole lot of events that are basically accumulating towards setting the condition for, uh, for burnout to be more likely. We started off at the turn of the 20th century. Everybody was afraid of Y2K. You might have to uh, remember a bit back to remember that one, when everyone was afraid that all the computer systems were going to crash because of the changing of the dates from 1999 to 2000. Then, a year and a half later, was September 11. Then the war on terror. Then the global financial crisis then the climate changes uh, crises and fires and floods and droughts and everything else. 
And then it kept on going and kept on going, more issues and more issues, and then COVID, and then supply chain crisis, and divisive politics, and now Ukraine, and all these things can build up. And we generally try and push them away. We try and deal with things as best we can, which is fully rational, fully understandable, but still at the back of our mind, these things are building up, and we don't know how to deal with them. And so many people are more stressed. Many people have, are more likely to have irritability or depression, which are the two of the biggest symptoms of burnout. And even, a, say, a year and a half ago, maybe six months ago, when things started to open up a bit more after COVID, there were lots of reports around the world sort of saying that it was like a lack of manners and people were more frustrated and there was bullying and people in customer service and hospitality were basically having to shut their doors because of the abuse of their staff and everything else, which is basically a classic symptom of COVID burnout. People were frustrated and angry and irritable and the smallest things set them off. And this is where it starts to get more relevant to today's world is that when we examine all these cases, we can see that burnout is really, really common. And yet, we can resolve it, which is a good thing. We can work with it to avoid it. And avoiding it is, is really the best thing to do, rather than letting it get to the point where it actually happens. So what makes it more interesting is that when we consider all these things that have happened and how we deal with them, we start to look at our coping mechanisms. And generally, coping mechanisms, we all have coping mechanisms. We all have little things that we like to do. But there's a difference between coping mechanisms and hobbies. Hobbies are things that we enjoy. It might be doing the crossword or going for a walk or shopping or cooking or gardening or artworks and making things. And they're things we enjoy and they enrich our lives. But when we get to that point where we can't function without them. And they're basically, it comes to a point which is a bit more likely for depressive cases where they become a way for us to escape from the world, to block the world out, where we become dependent on doing these things and we can't function without them. When we reach that point, then we're in trouble. And the same applies for more irritable types when they, their coping mechan mechanism is often going and whacking a punching bag to get the stress out. Uh, and very often, uh, drinking alcohol and things like that is an escape mechanism. And Buddhism has always kind of encouraged people not to do that because, you know, what happens when you get stressed and irritable and you've programmed yourself to respond to frustrating conditions with violence and you don't have a punching bag, but, you know, your nearest and dearest is there, they become the punching bag. And, of course, this is... This is the story the world over, unfortunately. So how do we deal with burnout and how can we avoid falling into it? Because one of the reasons that we want to do this, which is also very interesting, is that when we suffer from burnout, we're more likely to experience PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And they're not usually, as far as I understand things in the psychological world, they don't usually link those two together so much. But when you look at it, it makes sense. Somebody who's already burnt out and stressed is far more likely to be less resilient. And when a traumatic experience comes along, they just, 
they really can't cope and it, it creates a real crisis, traumatic experience and that can be crippling. So trying to resolve the situation is far more important. And there's a story which I, I use, I heard it many, many years ago and I wasn't really thrilled about it when I heard it the first time because my life experience has really told me that complicated problems don't really have very simple solutions. You know, simple solutions, just do this or just stop that. It doesn't really work for very complicated, very broad spectrum problems. But the story is still useful all the same because with a bit of tweaking, it, it makes sense. And the story goes like this. So there's two people and they're sitting in the waiting room to see a lifestyle consultant. And they both have stressful lives. They both are involved in business and all kinds of things and difficult relationships and a whole list of troubles. And they go and see the lifestyle consultant. The first one goes in and tells the lifestyle consultant all the problems. And the consultant's listening very patiently, making all the right noises, nodding at the right time, taking little notes. And at the end of it, he says, it's just for a sandwich. And the person blinks and goes, what do you mean? And so he walks out and a bit bewildered and doesn't make any sense. The next person goes in, exactly the same thing, tells the consultant all his troubles and so on and so on and so on. And the consultant, exactly the same, nods and smiles and makes all the right noises and, and very sympathetic and then just says, it's just for a sandwich. Six months later, the first person is still in their job but they've changed their view of it. The second person has quit their job and they've gone off to find something new. And many people, when they hear this, they always kind of say, well, which is the right one? What should we do? And what's, what I like about this, this interpretation is that it's very real world. So the first person could perceive things a little differently. We're just doing this to put food on the table. We're just doing this for our livelihoods, to feed our kids, to have a decent life. And yes, it's stressful. Things are tough at the moment. Inflation's going nuts. Bank um, interest rates are rising and rising around the world. Things are tough for people. But the company that I work on isn't that bad. It's a good job. We're all stressed, but I'm working with good people. We can communicate better. We can step back from the trouble and be more open to the situation and, and work together more. It's not that bad. So a change of perception was really useful. For the second person, they realized that they were in a toxic situation and it can't be fixed. Basically, staying in a poisonous environment or an exploitative environment is just not going to fix anything. And at the end, you know, it's a lose-lose situation. So that person realized that it's a lose-lose situation. It's not worth it for putting you know, food on the, on the table. It's not worth it for just a sandwich. So they went off and found a new job and a new environment. And this is what's useful about this story is we can maneuver between these two and find out, okay, things are tough, but what's, what's our biggest situation like? Because usually when we're suffering from stress and burnout, kind of characteristics, our usual natural response is to push back, is to withdraw and to become more introverted in a way. It's much harder for us to communicate. It's much harder for us to listen to people. We're tired, we're stressed, 
you know, it's, there's just not much openness to be able to deal with that. And yet, we can come back to sort of saying, well, what are we really doing all this for? How can we work together? How can we be a little bit kinder and a bit more compassionate to people and a bit more understanding, both for our own situation as well as for others? And that way we can work together in a better way. And that's where it gets far more interesting. And indeed, where meditation comes into play. Because meditation can really help with this. We can start to relax more. Even if at the beginning, you know, who knows, in our work situation or in our family situation, our relationships might be so bad that we can barely talk to each other. But we can start to do the metta, the compassion practices, the uh, um, joy practices and acceptance. And that creates an opening inside. So we can start to be more open to other people, even if we can't yet communicate with each other we can still have sort of an opening there and softly, softly, softly we can be more tolerant of people, more open to people and we can get along much easier. And so this is a really, really useful thing because so many people are stressed and when we remember that these things are accumulative, we look at all these crises that the world has gone through but we also look at the pressures that we put on ourselves. Life is hard. And we're seeing kids and teenagers with burnout already. They're at school and they've got burnout. And it's going to be a big question. How are they going to integrate into the world when they're already burnt out? They don't have the energy anymore. The Prime Minister of New Zealand just recently resigned because she doesn't have enough fuel in the tank. These are real world situations that are happening right now. So how do we get more, pardon me, more energy? And that's by using it more wisely, by being more calm inside. And in many ways, living a more healthy lifestyle certainly helps. Getting more sleep as we need it, healthier food, getting out into nature more occasionally, you know, doing hobbies and things that relax and enrich our lives and sharing and giving more with each other. Because that thing about stress and burnout, where we separate ourselves from each other and then we can't talk to each other, it's a we push back, that's a crisis response. And we can resolve it by calming down, by relaxing more and being more open and getting that perspective that we're just doing all this work just to put food on the table. It's just for a sandwich and that's okay. We're doing this to give our children a good life, to help our families, to get a bit of quality time for ourselves, you know, so we can spend time with family and friends and, you know, have some, some good memories for when we get older. There's so many opportunities that we can start to deal with our stress and prevent burnout from happening. Because, unfortunately, the people that we rely on the most, in a society sense, are the most vulnerable to burnout. Doctors, medics, law enforcement, uh, administration, defense, all kinds of people that we rely on in society and think so little about until we need them, they're the people who are really suffering from burnout the most because it's just endless pressure, it's just endless patients coming in, uh, endless trouble <laughs> basically. And it, it has to come to that moment where if we can't say, what are we doing this for? when we can't come back to ourselves and reflect on what we're doing this for, but also valuing 
the good that we have done, that we're contributing to society, that we're, we're part of this, even though we might be so different and so separate from each other in a daily life. You know, we, it's so common to see people walking through the streets and they just, you know, they just can't look sort of outside. It's they're very narrow and, you know, I don't want to say small-minded, but um, they're more focused on what they're doing, but it's not really what we call mindful focus. It's just more, I've got to go to the bank and get this done, and then I've got to go shopping, then I've got to kick up the kids, then I've got to do this and this and this. And, you know, no room for distraction, no time to look at a nice little garden or, you know, see the clouds or, you know, get a breath of fresh air. It's business all the way, non-stop. And, of course, that builds up. That becomes accumulative and that puts the conditions into place where burnout can happen. And so often we don't even know it's happening. But we can see it in other people when they start to withdraw, when they start to get more stressed, when their lifestyle has switched from enjoying things, maybe going out to the movies on the weekend or going down to the beach or some simplistic thing into those coping mechanisms because that's the only way that they can cope. And part of the reason that this becomes more uh, something we should be more wary of is because of how the mind and body works together. So our mind and body are sending ourselves signals all the time about what we need. And a lot of the time it's sort of saying, I can't deal with this. This is too much. We've got too much on the plate. I'm burning out. And we're not listening to those signals. We're not listening to our body and mind saying, we need a rest, we need a break, we need a weekend off. And that starts to build up and build up and build up until eventually we have a mental breakdown, we have a heart attack, we have all these kinds of stress, post-traumatic stress, all these kinds of things coming up and burnout and these whole collapses when it just gets to that point that we just say, I can't do this anymore. And in some cases, particularly for people who have had burnout to the extent that PTSD has happened, uh, we can start to see problems of going towards suicidal intent because their mind is basically saying, I can't do this anymore. And it starts to say that, hang on a minute, tomorrow is only going to be more of what I've got today. Next year is only going to be more of what I've got today. I check out. No more. I can't do this anymore. So catching it very early on has great advantage. And this is the thing. It is something that we can all do and that we can all help each other with by meditating a bit more, by being more open, and also reflecting on what we're doing this for and how we can, you know, what are we running our companies for? What are we doing our jobs for? Is it just for putting it, you know, getting a sandwich? Or is it for something more for the community, more for everyone? We can shift these things to, because when we make it all about me, everything becomes serious, everything becomes heavy. And when we can step back from that, everything becomes lighter. We get a bigger sense of things going, oh yes, okay, there's troubles. We're not gonna deny that. But we can still manage this. We don't have to take it so personally. We don't have to have it drag us down to the point that we just can't function. 
And there are so many options for that. The meta, the compassion, these wonderful tools, as well as daily life things that we can all do. So dealing with burnout, if it's already happened, is more difficult. Because what happens is, you know, the body and mind are sending us signals all the time. If we push through and say, yes, 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 I know we can't deal with this, but I've got to do it and I'm not going to listen to you and just charge ahead anyway, eventually, our mind and body doesn't trust us anymore. And we become the enemy of ourselves. And this mind and body is surprisingly, uh, you know, it, it handles enemies pretty strongly. When you see how it, how it reacts to things that it's averse to, when we become the enemy of ourselves, that is the definition of a lose-lose situation because we just cannot uh, deal with that. We're, we're really in a, in a dangerous situation then. And it can take a long time for our mind to trust us again, which is really, uh, it's, it's a very Buddhist position this. You know, you try to explain this to most people and they, it sounds a bit confusing. But the processes of the mind and body, they had their function, they have their job, they know what they want to do and how to do it and they don't want us to interfere, but at the same time they don't want us to block their job. So we have to work together, so to speak. And it gets to the point that if our mind doesn't trust us, we're really going to suffer. And it's going to be very, very difficult to recover from this. It can take many years. We have to start to rebuild that relationship with ourselves through, and of course the most effective way, is the metta, is the compassion, is reflecting on the good that we've done and valuing the happiness, valuing the joy and having gratitude for you know, the wonderful things we have had in our lives, even if they've been very few. I don't know anyone who hasn't had at least an experience of kindness from someone else, or at least something good that they can value. And that softens the mistrust. It softens, softens the resistance that we have, because we have to work together internally. Otherwise, it's just going to uh, be one great suffering after another, after another, after another. And that's where it gets to the point when if our mind and body can't work together, they can't function, that's usually when we get to that point where it says, I can't do this anymore. And we have the kind of problems that we see, the heart attacks, the strokes, the mental breakdowns, the panic attacks, all the rest of it. And panic attacks are also an interesting sign as well because when the mind and body can't trust us, they're on the lookout for signals that remind them of stressful and dangerous situations. So they're on hyper alert against things that can cause them trouble. And when they see little signals that might remind them that, oh, I could be moving back into this situation of which I got burnt out, you can get panic attacks, you can get IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, all these kinds of ways that the body tries to obstruct us from going into that. It's trying to avoid that situation. And it does it very, very effectively. But of course, they're things that we don't want to go through. <laughs> they're not fun things for people to go through. And if you've ever, as I have, counseled people who have been through panic attacks or are suffering from IBS or suffering from great depression and everything else where they can't even get out of bed, which is another avoidance strategy. The mind says, I just can't cope with the world. I just can't get out of bed. It takes a lot of work, but it is possible.
we can do it. And that metta, that compassion, softens the situation. Opening ourselves up more. What are we doing this for? A lot of it's just for a sandwich. We don't have to take it so personally. And we can communicate with each other and work together more. But still, at the same time, recognize that there's times that that won't work. Maybe the situation is too poisonous. It's irresolvable. Flogging a dead horse, you know, to use the old, old saying. And that's a, time, that's a signal that we should move on. And sort of say, because anybody in an abusive situation might hope that their partner might change. But there comes to a point when they're not going to change. And it's this wake-up moment to sort of realize that we're in a situation that we can't change. We have to take more productive action and move on and find a safer environment for ourselves. And this is the thing. It is possible to do. Giving ourselves more time, more trust, as well as more skills, life becomes so much easier to manage and so much more enjoyable to live. And that's, that's something worthwhile. In this world that we live today, there's so much burnout going on, so much stress, so much fatigue, so much worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. And that's a completely rational experience because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There could be all kinds of new crises that we just don't want, don't need, and can't deal with. <laughs> We've just had a string of them over the last 20 years, which has been one after another. But we can cope in a different way. We can be more present. We can be more mindful of these little signals that our mind and body are sending us. And we can react in a more intelligent way, more relaxed way, and a more open way. And that, I think, um, could be very, very useful for dealing with burnout and preventing it. So that's pretty much my half hour talk. Shall we uh, get into the, uh, the good stuff, the meditation? <laughs> well, in which case, what we can do is everybody please stand up and give yourself a bit of a stretch and loosen yourselves up. Get a bit more comfortable. If you need to adjust your clothes or anything else, please do so. <laughs> it really does help to get ourselves more comfortable because then we're already open for meditation. You know, it's not a fight from the beginning. We've already made ourselves more comfortable without even starting it. How brilliant. So, when everyone's ready, please close your eyes and let's settle in. And for the first minute, we'll just, just shuffle and settle into the chair. As we relax, our joints change shape and our muscles move slightly. So this is a time that we can adjust as we need to.
really allow yourselves to enjoy this process. There's no hurry. There's no need to be anywhere or do anything. This is the time for meditation. And use your breathing to help the process. Use your breathing to relax more. So breathe as you need to do. Spending the time relaxing. Spend this time with your body. What signals is it sending you now? What does it need? Try and feel the breath going through your whole body. 
And as you do so, let the flow of the breath travel through you, relaxing all the way, calming all attention. Perhaps you have stress, perhaps you've come from a busy day. Give, these, give the stress a way out with the breath. See if you can cultivate a sense of trust with your body and mind. Let's meditate together. We don't need to fight each other to meditate. We can relax together.
your mind wanders, let it wander. Let it run off and do whatever it wants while we sit here and relax and enjoy the situation, enjoy the meditation.
So how are you doing? Do you need to relax more? Investigate again to see what you need, to see how you can help the process.
And now imagine a light, a light of loving kindness, a light of compassion, and a light of joy, a light of acceptance. Whatever flavor it has is fine. And imagine that light filling our lives. Perhaps we can be more open with ourselves. Perhaps we can communicate with ourselves better. And may this, this kindness be an opening for that. If we cannot share kindness and compassion with ourselves, our mind is resentful that it gives it to others. To be able to give has to work both ways, all-inclusive. And let that light of kindness and compassion Fill your entire body and your entire mind. And then share that light with someone you care about. Perhaps things might be difficult at the moment, but let this light be a communication between us. A way of opening. How wonderful it is to be able to share kindness and compassion.
And as you share this light, allow it to become more brilliant, more beautiful. As we expand this light to include others, the people that we know but interact with only occasionally, allow this kindness and compassion to include them as well. Finally, share this light with someone who we don't get on with well, who we don't like so much. Allow it to share with them as well. Perhaps we cannot speak with this person. Perhaps we don't get on but it is possible that they too have their difficulties and they too are suffering. And through that understanding we can include them too. It doesn't matter if we can't share this directly, but let the light share itself. Let the kindness share itself. Because kindness loves to give. to an end.
And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Welcome back. <laughs> We pretty much know what I'm going to ask for. If anybody has any questions, please let them come. <laughs> exactly. Yes, please let them come. Now mute yourself or put them in the chat, whichever way you like. <laughs> I think it's a very, very excellent topic this evening, Ajahn. I really do. I was speaking to my friend today and she said that I was complaining about my students being absent from university and she was saying that in New Zealand truancy rates for 15 and 16 year olds are around 40%. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. It affects young people just as much as it does us. In fact, the risk of burnout when we really look at it is higher for children which is strange because we think that they're younger, they should be more resilient, more full of energy and bouncing and everything else. But for that same reason, they get hit more harder and worn out more quicker because they haven't yet got the skills to be able to deal with life's pressures. And then, of course, when, if they're suffering burnout and stress as a, as a child, they're pretty much a burnt-out battery when they come to, uh, to the workforce and getting a job. They can't really function so well. And let, let, let alone actually even get out and get a job, yes. Mm. You know, when we look at it, this is not really a good picture for the future. But it is something that we can, we can deal with, fortunately. This is something that by teaching kids meditation in particular, and being able to show them how to, to balance the, the homework and study as well as getting that quality time, you know, whether it's hanging out with their friends or playing sports or anything else, and to be able to have a childhood. So few people and so few kids today have a childhood. And it's particularly um, very, very strong, particularly in East Asia and to a degree Southeast Asia, where there's so much pressure for the child to attain 100% top A's and a perfect score. And uh, it's, it's just killing them, unfortunately. But this is the world we live in. That's not a bright picture. Penda, did you wish to unmute and ask the question? Uh, you're already, uh, yes, you're still yeah. on. Oh, no, this wasn't a question on, on meditation. I just wanted to ask Venerable Sambhai if his uh, gong was silent. Oh, my gong was silent. You haven't been hearing it for the last few sessions, actually. I think the problem is the microphone not picking it up. Ah, okay. Hmm. hmm. Has this been happening with, with other classes as well? Yeah, we're about three or four. It has. Okay. Well, I'll bring that up with the, the technician monks here, and maybe we need a bigger gong or, or some other microphone system so we can hear that. Hmm. Oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Yes, we would appreciate it because sometimes um, we're there hanging. We're not quite oh. sure the meditation's over or not. Last <laughs> <laughs> three or four weeks ago, so it's not been there all the time. So something has changed. Oh. Four or five weeks ago. Four or five weeks. Hmm. 
No worries. I'll certainly bring that up because we had the, our work yeah, meeting tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly there on the podcasts, but it's not with us, unfortunately. Huh. Otherwise, it's not with Google. We can meditate for another 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> There's something in audio settings where you can change the background um, noise to low. Anyway, get them to play around with audio settings. It can make a difference. Hmm. Hmm. Well, thank you, Catherine. Um, there is a comment here from Sarah um, to everyone, uh, and she says it's a helpful talk, and thank you. Do you have any more advice regarding burnout recovery? John. Yeah. Uh, the real one on this one is that it's context orientated, so it will be different for person from each person to person, depending entirely on their situation. And we would typically have to address that uh, on a person-to-person -person basis. Unfortunately, there's not one-size-fits-all solution there. However, the, the common theme in this is that coming back to ourselves to develop that trust with ourselves. Because it's almost as if um, we, we've betrayed ourselves, so to speak, by pushing ourselves through uh, something when our body is sort of saying, I can't deal with this, this is too hard work, or our mind is saying, I can't deal with this, this is too much pressure, and yet we're pushing ourselves through over to keep the job. I mean, it's, you know, we have to pay the bills, we have to do everything else, and we're afraid that we're not going to be able to get a job elsewhere. So we put ourselves in, in often very, very difficult situations. And this doesn't go down too well, but it takes time. We can rebuild that relationship just by sitting down in our meditation. Our immediate response is this sort of resistance. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. It's like, I don't want to sit here with myself. That's such a common experience for people that they say over and over again, I can't meditate because, you know, I can't get through or practice meta or anything because it's like there's this barrier here. And it's exactly that barrier that we're talking about. Our mind doesn't trust us. Our body doesn't want to be here. There's no joy. Remember, sort of, we, we had this class a few weeks back, the, the, the sticking the plate on the wall thing. It's the joy that keeps us in the meditation. It's what keeps us, uh, it's what makes the meditation valuable and as a, as a functional tool. Otherwise, we're just sitting here doing it like another kind of job. And when meditation becomes a job, it's, it's only adding to the trouble. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who, when they have their meditation, meditation can be more stressful than their day job. That's a real warning sign. And yet, it doesn't always have to be that way. At the core of Buddhism, the wonderful teaching is that when this is, that is. When the arising of this comes the arising of that. When this isn't, that isn't. With the cessation of this comes the cessation of that. In other words, the difficulties we have in our meditation have causes, and we can find those causes and address them. And that is incredibly empowering. It is incredibly confidence building. It really helps us bring that relationship with ourselves because all of a sudden the mind and body realize that, oh, we're working together now. It's not this fight in meditation where we have to sit and be, you know, full lotus and sitting perfectly up straight and all the rest of it. Uh, it's that softness. We can work together. And the meditation becomes a joy to do. 
And all of a sudden, this becomes a tool to let those pressures out, to let that trouble out. Because the mind is incredibly good at this. It wants to let stuff go. It's itching for the opportunity to let this stuff go. It doesn't want to hold on to this stuff. Yet, we're holding on to it because we're afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. We've got these deadlines, these pressures. I've got an appointment tomorrow, I've got to ha get this ready, then I've got to meet this customer, then da 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 And so it's churning all the time because there's these pressures that it's got to deal with and this fear of failing and the troubles that could happen by not accomplishing the, th the deadlines, the, the projects, all the things that it's got to do. And so it constantly pushes itself harder and harder and harder. So this is the thing. We often obstruct ourselves from letting go. And the mind becomes resentful at that. And it doesn't trust us anymore. So we start to find a way to communicate more effectively with ourselves, to let this meditation time be a way to let these troubles out, to give them a way out. And they will leave on their own. And that's such a relief. So as a way for, perhaps you uh, have someone in your life who's suffered from burnout or you're suffering yourself from burnout, this is a major step forward. It is a great deal about improving your life. Because uh, recovery is not the same as functionality. If you're in a stressful job, just take a weekend off, stay off the refined foods and all that stuff and get some exercise and you'll be functional for another week. And then you'll be able to do it again for next week, and the next week, and the next week. That's not really recovering. That's not really being able to move on. Because a major part of what meditation is for is to help us get our lives back. To help us live far better and enjoy life. Even with the stresses and the troubles. We can't avoid those. This is First Noble Truth stuff. But we don't have to be oppressed by them. We don't have to be destroyed by them. And unfortunately, we were talking about young kids earlier. Because their resilience, and of course this is, this is with adults as well, because their resilience is so worn out with burnout and stress, they get hit so much harder. Small things can set them off far worse and the stress can be heartbreaking. And that's the, the foundation for post-traumatic stress disorder where you have people who are in abusive relationships for a long, 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 long time. Their resilience is completely destroyed. And then there comes that moment where there's another explosion in their, in their life and it just all collapses and they can't function anymore. And that's in health, it's in customer service, in defense and, and all the areas where PTSD happens. It's a journey, but it's one well worth doing. There's no hurry, but if not now, when? So hopefully that, that helps. But it's a, it's a, that's a big question with a, with a long answer. <laughs> I think it's an excellent answer, Ajahn. We have another question on the same theme. My wife, who's a new mother, is showing signs of emotional and physical strength and is resistant to doing dedicated meditation sessions. Mm -hmm. But I know she'd benefit from it. Any advice? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be... Well, actually, um, meditation is something that is useful when you have the time to do it. I generally recommend to people to um, 
just go outside and get some fresh air and just calm for five, ten minutes. And that can set the mind. And that just sets a small little habit, a little pathway opening that relaxation is okay, relaxation is possible. And then we can sort of see that, oh, in meditation we can use this more. You know, meditation leads to more of this. So I, I initially sort of recommend to people who have that, you know, that barrier to meditation, and of course their big fear is sitting there with themselves. I've lost count of how many people who tell me they just can't sit there with themselves. The idea of sitting with themselves for half an hour doing nothing is a nightmare to them. But we have to start somewhere. And this is a useful, useful tool. Have them look at a flower. Have them look at the sky. Something beautiful. Perhaps even look at their child, their new little baby. And get that feeling of love. And grow from there. And then incorporate that feeling into the meditation. And we see that meditation is not a job, but it's a very, very, you know, it, it's a delight really, but it's, it's, it's very, very helpful. So hopefully that question helps. <laughs> that was, um, yeah, fantastic answer. Thank you very much. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, it's not really a question, but I, I really appreciated your talk tonight because burnout is a big, like, big issues for me because I had a lot of like childhood trauma, and my stress system is really messed up all the time. Like because I work full time now, I, I always have a lot of stress, and. I just want to share that today I feel stressful and when I'm walking home, I suddenly remember the ma mantra like uh, uh, you will die, that's for sure. <laughs> I remember this mantra and then I like, I started to like uh, saying it in my mind like for a few times and then I suddenly feel calm again and I think it's, it's correct that everyone has their own like coping mechanism and another coping mechanism I have is that look at the kill rapid during <laughs> during my work time yes thank you very much for your sharing tonight you're welcome <laughs> and thank you too um, Gloria uh, Rocky would you like to unmute yes thank you Chris thank you Andrew thank you for being here with us <laughs> well this is not a question but maybe a discussion subject that uh, I think there's a problem that the first problem is the people don't recognize that they're stressed out. So because sometimes I've noticed that whenever someone is stressed, we see that they're stressed. But they say, oh, I'm going to, maybe we're going to turn on the TV or watch some Netflix to get that stress out and, and I wonder how it might how it's going to help it's going to accumulate more stress so right. the first thing is people don't recognize um, what, what you have to say about it yeah and that's exactly the case and the vast majority of people in this world they don't recognize the stress they don't recognize it's accumulating that this pressure cooker is about to explode they don't see it coming. They always feel that, oh, 
I'll just take a weekend off and relax and then I'll be able to go back to it and I have my functionality again. We don't have the skills in daily life anymore. In Buddhism we do. In, in daily life people don't know about this and yet they're pressure, you know, putting pressure on themselves to keep going, to keep working because they can't drop the ball. Because dropping the ball feels worse than actually uh, you know, fixing the problem. But it's exactly as you say. And people have their coping mechanisms. And it's that point where the coping mechanisms take over their lives. So putting on the Netflix, putting on the TV is a way to escape. So I can just blank all this out and it doesn't have to worry me anymore. In other words, we're not being mindful, we're being mindless. And that's our escape mechanisms. That's how the vast majority of people in this world cope by zoning out and basically being zombies. And unfortunately, this is what Ouija is all about. This important term in Buddhism, this not knowing, which is the root cause of all the troubles, is that we don't know. And yet, unfortunately, we just don't teach this stuff so often to people. And yet, once we recognize there's a problem, because we become more sensitive to our own signals. And this is kind of the tragedy, is that because we're so stressed and so burnt out and so pressured, you know, our, our minds basically are too exhausted to pay attention to our signals anyway. But even if, even if we do listen to them, it's just like more trouble, I you know, more stuff I have to deal with, so we push it away even more. And it just builds up and builds up and builds up. It, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a major tragedy and unfortunately it's a, it's not, it's a lose-lose situation. It's not going to resolve itself because we're not looking at it in the right way and we're not sharing the right skills, unfortunately. But exa it's exactly as you say, is that it's not helping people and it won't help people because the coping mechanisms just take over their lives. But it gets to that point where we on the outside can see, oh, oh they've reached that point. That's when perhaps we can talk to them. Perhaps we can sort of say, can we work together? Can we find some solutions to your trouble? Or, you know, can we talk about the issues you're having? Perhaps we can give you, share skills to be able to, to live better. Does that, again, it's a big subject, but you're exactly right. Um, so is this kind of in the, the area? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that helps. But also I figured that when someone is stressed and you try to help them, they come back to us and they, they try to fight us, fight with us or, yeah, because of the stress, yeah. Mm. Basically, um, it's, as an interesting twist, as I said before, our mind wants to let this stuff out. But, so what we do is, unfortunately, when people come to help us, we project onto other people and we attack them. <laughs> uh, it, yes, it, it happens a lot. Um, and that's, that's always the time that it, has, it does happen, but we, we don't have to take it so seriously. So we recognize that that's just how they're venting. And then we just let them vent and let them explode. And, and then once they calm down, they can, we can talk better. So uh, um, we don't have to take that so personally. That's very, very useful to know. <laughs> That's a very useful point, and uh, um, I could feel that one deeply venerable. Uh, thank you, Rafi, for that question. It's very interesting. Mm. Uh, venerable, 
Um, I was wondering if you could uh, repeat what you said earlier on about panic attacks and how they are related to all of this. Mm. Panic attacks uh, are very difficult because people who they come at unexpected times, but there's always a signal for them. There's always a trigger. And it's a tri finding a trigger is very, very important. It's, and of course, it's always relevant to the stress that we're suffering. So there's times where people may be just extremely anxious about being in society or, being, or public speaking, and they're very anxious about the troubles outside. So people are a bit more reclusive, you could say. And yet when there's this sense that they're going to have to go out and you know, do small talk and have to be on show, there's that trigger in the mind. The mind saying, no, 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 let's not do the and panic attack. Because that's its coping mechanism. That's its way of preventing us from putting ourselves in a situation which it knows it can't deal with. And these panic attacks can become, unfortunately, dominate our lives. And they can really just come at any moment. I've lost count of how many people who you know, are so happy and are so excited because today is the day that they're going to do something that they plan to do. They, you know, their, their weekends come and they wanted to go to the beach or have this picnic and something else. And all of a sudden, they just collapse with a panic attack and they just can't. And they, they, they suffer so badly because today was their, they had so much anticipation and the panic attack kind of destroyed their day. But the panic attack only arises because of the triggers and the underlying stress. The more we deal with these underlying stresses, the less likely these panic attacks are going to come. The more that we can recognize the triggers as well, and indeed our own internal signals that we're sending to ourselves, we can relax those down. We can say, actually, it's not so stressful. We might not. We might be overestimating how bad this is. Very often, people who have been through extremely stressful situations where they force themselves to continue on working in their situation or their abusive relationship or whatever it is, and because they force themselves for so long to continue that status quo, that the mind and the body basically are saying, no, 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 we can't do this. And then it just gets the tiniest trigger and it feels like it's going back into that same situation panic attack. It's a, it's a tool this body and mind uses to prevent us from getting into danger. And therefore, it's not the enemy. It's not a failure. But we have to understand it's the way the body and mind is reacting. And it's a very strong reaction. I sort of mentioned before, if we become the enemy of ourselves, this mind and body can react in some pretty powerful ways to, to things that it's you know, hostile to. And panic attack is one of those. So in this particular instance, when we're dealing with somebody who has panic attacks, whether we're counseling them or, or us ourselves, we have to go slowly. We have to recognize that, OK, panic attacks will happen. They have causes. We can recognize those causes. It's a way the body is trying to prevent, and our mind is trying to prevent us from getting into trouble. But maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it's just. I don't want to say overreacting, but maybe it's just reacting too quickly. It's not giving itself some time to say that, well, we don't really know what the situation to be. Who knows? 
the family barbecue that we're going to have this tomorrow where I'm going to have to do small talk and talk to auntie so-and-so who I don't really like. Maybe we'll have fun. Maybe it'll be okay. We have to give the moment the benefit of the doubt and be more open to seeing what life is. Again, it's a very, very big subject and it's, it is relevant for each person, and, but panic attacks are often uh, the most effective tool the body and mind has to prevent us from getting into danger, a perceived danger. So is that kind of in the area that you're, that you're looking for? That's perfectly in the area. Thank you, Venerable. Uh, Venerable, uh, uh, Sky, would you like to, did you want to say something, Sky? Okay, I have a comment. Uh, I had the privilege this summer to work in a group, uh, a children's play, and one of the, most of us were seniors, but one girl, she was 14, mm -hmm. and she kind of uh, liked me, and I looked like her grandmother, but she was confiding in me some private things, and she looked at me square in the eyes, and she said, oh, well, my psychologist said that my whole generation is suffering from great anxiety. And I, I was like, wow. She thinks she already has it in her 14, almost 15-year-old beautiful head that she's doomed, that her whole generation is suffering uh, anxiety. I mean, they've had the, sh the school shootings, you know, from their grade school and whatever else their parents are going through. Her brother is autistic, uh, whatever, uh, what she went through. And just getting her first monthly cycle uh, during the time I met her, she almost ended up in a suicide watch in her uh, local uh, mental, uh, her parents had to bring her in, in other words. She missed a few rehearsals. Um, she's darling, a beautiful voice, a cute kid, and I, I, I still can't stop thinking about that because I've had anxiety my whole life. I think we all do. I don't fit in, I'm too short, I'm too dark, I'm too light, I'm too fat, I'm too this, I'll never make it, my mother's poor. Whatever excuses that we go through, there's a whole lot of suffering if we dwell on it. But to think that her whole generation is uh, doomed. My whole generation were a, a bunch of burning the bra hippies, you know. Uh, you know, so it's just so sad. Um, um, she's doing well. I watch her on Facebook, but still, I worry about that comment so greatly. Mm. I don't know. Just a comment. Yeah. Uh, I, I completely, I can empathize very easily with that. Uh, the problem basically is, is that the, the global awareness is of such a level now um, that it's starting to tip over a point that we can't manage it. So it's, it's initiating this crisis response. You know, the, the climate situation is, is terrifying the youngest generation. And, you know, they, they look at that, you know, the, the world is, is going to cease to exist on their, yeah, yeah. And so many other things, the school shootings, all these other things, and they're afraid to even walk out the door now. And, you know, with all these other problems. It's, yeah, it's, it's, 
it's this is where the compassion comes in because that's the most effective way we can manage it to begin with but and of course they're not teaching kids these skills either which which makes it worse but this is the thing is that uh, um, the way we're doing is that we have to be aware of these issues because otherwise uh, we're, we're just at risk for not knowing it but at the same time we can't step back from these issues and then we can't even respond to them in a productive and creative way we can't ha you know we have people panicking again about the climate and sort of say we must do this and must do this and but nobody's actually getting out there and helping the environment it's it's more sort of talking about it on the internet and and stirring themselves up into this almost self-destructive frenzy yeah uh, it, it's a it's a great tragedy unfortunately and it's it's extremely common and it's it's everywhere it's it doesn't have to be this way but Unfortunately, because of the peer pressure, the way we interact with uh, people of our own age and the way children interact with their own age, they form this bubble because that grows to their awareness. I know who I am because I dictate who you, who you are, basically. So we have this interaction by which we recognize and form our own identity. And yet when we look at pretty much everybody else is doomed, um, we're very quickly going to believe that we too are doomed. Yeah. Yeah. That's Thank it. you, Ajahn. We have a, another question here. Uh, you mentioned that the mind wants to let out the stress. Any advice or techniques for how we can help that happen in our meditation? Mm. The, the thing is, is, of course, again, metta and compassion is, is extremely effective at this, and so is the joy and the acceptance. So the Brahma Vihara is a very effective at doing this. But basically, because the mind wants to do it, we basically just have to give it permission to do it. A lot of the time it feels that it has to hold on to these things because otherwise we can't function. That it, because it has to remember this deadline or this whatever that it has to do to be able to fulfill its job or to interact with people, that the, it has its priorities basically. Its priority is currently to hold on to this stuff and not to let it go. So we have a little moment, hopefully you have half an hour full meditation moment, but just a moment is all it needs to give ourselves that permission to let it out. And you'll find the mind can do it surprisingly easily, but it needs to feel that it's safe to do so. It needs to feel that, you know, it's weighing up the balances here. If I let this go, will we be able to get our sandwich, right? It has to, it has to feel safe that tomorrow will still be there. But this is the thing. It's, it's confidence building is very, very important. And it starts really from there. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. Uh, <laughs> we're getting running out of time, but um, Gabriel, would you like to just get a last word on there? Yes. Uh, first of all, thank you for the wonderful talk. Um, before we started meditating, I was just asking my mind, inspired by you, what it really needs, so I just slept for half an hour and it was amazing. <laughs> um, Good. What, what I'm doing is I'm teaching a lot of children how to build resilience, and so I have a question regarding that, because you said um, perceived threats or perceived dangers. Um, how can we shift our mind to not judge that quickly and maybe 
you know, that maybe this is not a threat that we perceive it as a threat. So how can we um, come to a more realistic view on things regarding that? I think the difficulty for younger people is that they've already been burnt. And that's the thing, if, if you've put your, your hand in the fire and you've been burnt, instantly you have this feeling that anything even remotely hot is going to burn me again, and I must not let that happen. And so it puts that strength of perception on virtually everything that could be remotely threatening. So it takes, again, a little bit of um, experimentation of being a bit more open to sort of see, actually, a bit more play, you could say, that it isn't so dangerous. You know, it's, it's, it's not actually that threatening. You know, tomorrow's day at school, you know, who knows, it could be fine. Yeah, there could be troubles, but, you know, we don't necessarily have to get involved in it. The perception comes in is because we've already been burnt and because we're afraid of it happening again. So these priorities are very, uh, they're, they're pretty hardwired now in, in the current generation. And as we were talking about before, so many of them are telling each other that they're doomed. You know, that's, that's baking it on. Yeah. <laughs> so it really is a way to step out of that situation. And sometimes that can be a change of environment. Just take them down to the beach and let them run in the waves and, you know, explore things a bit more and breathe a bit more and, and uh, interact more because we're shut, so shut off from each other that we feel that we can't interact with other people. And because we can't interact with people, they're a threat because we, we don't know, we feel trapped, don't we? And what, what happens when the mind feels it's in a corner? It perceives danger, it perceives threats, it responds. And it's to be able to step out of that corner and to see that we can be more open. You know, the world won't collapse if we, we talk to other people. And we can make friends and so wonderful things that way. So uh, hopefully that helps. <laughs> yes, it does. Thank you, Gabriel, and thank you, Venerable. Venerable, would you like to leave us with a blessing? Would you like to offer us a blessing this evening? Hmm. Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, what? <laughs> Nati me saranang anyam budho me saranang warang ete nasacha waje nasoti te ho tu sabada Nati me saranang anyam budha damo me saranang warang ete nasacha waje nasoti te ho tu sabada Nati me saranang anyam sango me saranang warang Ete na sacha waje na sotite ho tu sabada. And as a last, tiny last thought, don't be afraid to make mistakes. <laughs> that helps a lot.